Hi, and welcome to Recover Ed, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known affectionately by many as Maggie's. The Recover Ed podcast is made to educate the community on alcoholism, the Magdalene House, our programs and resources for the community. In each episode, you will get to know the disease of alcoholism a little better, and soon you'll know how you can shatter the stigma around alcoholism in your community with your hosts, Diana Miller and me, Nandan Dandar, the outreach team at the Magdalene House. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. Today, we have Dr. Kay Colbert joining us. Dr. Colbert is a licensed clinical social worker in private practice in Dallas. Dr. Colbert, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much. So, Kay, may I call you Kay? Absolutely, please do. Can you please tell us about your involvement with the Magdalene House? Well, I've been on the Magdalene House Board of Directors for about 13 years, and my first involvement with Maggie's, I was working at a nonprofit agency that provided uh, substance abuse treatment for women, and we had a client who, for various reasons, we thought would be a better fit at the Magdalene House, and this was back when we were on Redwood Circle. And so we drove the little van over, and, and I thought, wow. Um, this is Maggie's I've heard so much about and walked in. And even though as we, those of you that ha- were familiar with Redward Circle, it, it was uh, not a fancy place. But the minute I walked in the door, I thought, wow, this place is so special. It has such a special feeling. And everybody was just so welcoming and friendly to this client who was scared and didn't didn't know what she was going to do. And they immediately welcomed her and she felt at home. And I, I came back saying, wow, this is a really cool place. Tell me more about it. And it turned out that somebody that I worked with was a Maggie's girl, hmm. did not know that. And her husband was on the board. And a few months later, they said, hey, Kay, would you like to be on the board? And even though I'm personally not in recovery, I have a loved one in recovery. Um, and so I was very happy to join the board and, and keep up, be a small part of the good work that the Magdalene House does in the community. Well, we are so happy to have you. For our listeners who are new to this podcast, can you talk about the clinical definition of alcoholism? Sure. So if I put on my clinical hat, um, we don't actually, in the clinical world, therapists, psychiatrists, psychologists, we actually don't use the word alcoholism anymore. We use the term alcohol use disorder. Mm. And we, we, don't, we don't say alcoholic, we don't say, al- or alcohol abuse was a term that we used a few years ago. So we, we, we talk about people having an alcohol use disorder, and then we talk about them having it uh, a mild, moderate, or severe. Mm-hmm. So those are, the, those are the clinical terms that we use. And when somebody is in recovery, we don't necessarily use the term recovery. It's called remission. Mm-hmm. Um, so early remission would be three to 12 months, and then Sustained remission will be 12 months or more, as long as the person doesn't have continues to have a desire and urge a strong desire or urge to use alcohol. So there are clinically the what clinicians use is a book called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, and this helps us diagnose all sorts of mental health disorders, depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, you name it, and uh, substance use disorders are in there, and so. It's defined, we, we define a um, alcohol use disorder as a problematic pattern of alcohol use leading to clinically 
significant impairment or distress as manifested by, and then there's 11 different criteria um, about how people drink and how much they drink and whether they can, can stop or, or wanting, intending to cut down but can't. So all things that are very familiar. Um, and, and so technically two of those, two of the 11 have to be true for people to, to have an alcohol use disorder diagnosis. But um, we do consider it a, a mental illness and, and that's why it's, it's in the DSM-5. And I want to uh, dive into um, the fact that it is considered a mental illness. Fortunately, more and more people are open to discussing mental health. Uh, so we talked about alcohol use disorder being classified as a mental illness. Why is it important to talk about alcohol use disorder as part of a wider discussion of mental health? I think it's important to lessen the stigma, uh, most importantly, about alcohol. People have a lot of, when we use the term alcoholic or alcoholism, people have a lot of pictures in their head <laughs> of, you know, as we always say, somebody under a bridge with a paper bottle. Mm -hmm. or, um, but it's really, it, it is, I, the last statistic I saw was that in 2020, one in five Americans had a mental health issue. So it's it's part of life. We all deal with some mental health issues from time to time, and there's help available. So it, it doesn't help anything to stigmatize it or, um, or try to make it a moral failing or that somebody's uh, sinful or doing something wrong, which is how it was characterized in the past. And since um, 1980, the American Psychiatric Association has identified alcoholism as a primary mental health disorder. Thank you. And um, as you said, there is a lot of stigma around it. And here at the Magdalene House, we provide education to not only our participants, uh, but also to the community at large in terms of uh, trying to lessen that stigma through outreach and education and um, showing people that somebody struggling with alcohol use disorder doesn't always look like what they may picture they it, look like. Exactly. And I think it's important to realize that, you know, we've, we hear perhaps people have heard that alcoholism is a disease, but it truly is in the medical sense. We look at it as it's biological in nature, right? It doesn't go away or heal on its own. It ex you, you can tell, you know, when you see it, you know it, as they say, there is observable signs and symptoms. Um, it's progressive, so it can get worse, mm -hmm. and it's even fatal if it's left untreated. And it has a, a fairly predictable timeline of development and then recovery. And so those are the criteria in the medical community that we use to talk about is, is something a disease. And, and alcoholism or alcohol use disorder actually absolutely fits. But I think the other th reason that it's really important to talk about mental health is that so so we know we know it, it it's a disease we know now that we've got the technology of of um, fMRIs and CAT scans and we can look at the brain in real time that we actually see changes in the brain of people who if we use the term alcoholic people that drink incredibly heavily um, and can't stop that it does seem to um, it does seem to be a primary chronic disease mm -hmm. of brain reward, motivation, memory, and the related circuitry. So we know that. And the other reason that, that well, the reason that that's very important, I think, is because we don't want it to, along with, the, still along with the stigma, is we don't want to infer that people have a lack of willpower or they're lazy or they, if they, if they wanted to, they could stop drinking. Or um, if, if, you know, if my mother really loved me, she'd stop drinking. Um, it is, it is a chronic disease it's a it's a 
that originates with brain function and um, or dysfunction, if we want to use that term. And so it's it's not it's not a moral failing. It's not just something we can choose to change, even if we want to. Which of course is one of the the characteristics of alcoholism that people often want to stop drinking, but they can't. The other reason I think it's important to talk about mental health is there's, there's, there's often crossover between alcoholism and mental health um, issues. Um, in the clinical world, we call it co-occurring. But what we know is that any sort of mental illness, such as depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, can contribute to alcohol use disorder. So if somebody has underlying depression or anxiety or another mental health issue, it may prompt increased drinking. And so perhaps, yes, the alcoholism needs to be addressed, but also if there's clinical depression, if there's significant anxiety or bipolar disorder or other issues, yeah, that may have to be addressed too. Um, The other reason is that anyone who has alcoholism is at higher risk than the average population for having a mental health issue. So if we look at at, at women or men that have alcoholism, a higher percentage of them than the average population will will meet the criteria for depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder or other other things. And then sometimes it becomes a chicken or the egg question, mm-hmm. you know, what is causing what? So yes, it helps very much for people to get sober. And then I would re if I as a clinician would reevaluate. So if somebody comes in very depressed or anxious and they're drinking heavily, let's get them sober, and then I would do a reeval and say, okay, now that you're sober, do you still have these symptoms? It's it's not always apparent when you first do an assessment. Um, but we also know that he- heavy drinking can worsen depression. Alcohol is a central nervous system depressant. Drinking can make people more depressed um, and, and more anxious. So I would say it's about 50% crossover between mental health um, other mental health issues and and alcoholism. So it's important to lessen the stigma of both alcoholism and other mental health issues and, and understand how they might interact with each other. Absolutely. And I am glad that you touched on this idea that somebody struggling with alcoholism simply lacks the willpower to stop right. drinking. Exactly. And for a long time, that's what we thought. I mean, it was very common in that, unfortunately, some of those old Um, thoughts, those old belief systems still are around. And as an alcoholic, I really struggled with this mental obsession that I had around alcohol. And again, willpower was not sufficient uh, to deter me from drinking. Here at the Magdalene House, we do believe that there is a spiritual solution to the mental obsession component of alcoholism and that we can achieve long-term recovery through the 12 steps. Uh, Can you talk about this uh, from your perspective as a mental health professional? Absolutely. So I I feel that the 12 steps and, and what you all do at the Magdalene House are really important components of successful care for alcoholics. Um, the, what I love about the 12-step program and, and what we do here at Maggie's is that it combines self-help, peer recovery support, spirituality, and all that. In, in, the, in the clinical community, we'd say that synthesizes this biomedical, psychosocial, and environmental approaches. So we're kind of, inter, it's an integrative approach. 
And uh, what I what I love about you know, of course, at Maggie's is that we don't charge anybody anything to come here. That's right. So it's free. It's easily accessible. Some of our meetings are still online. Um, and in the past, some people in the medical profession have viewed the 12-step as a non-scientific solution. Mm. There hasn't been a plethora of double-blind research studies done on 12-step methods, but there have been some. And what, we, what they have shown is it works. And if people are going to meetings, working the steps, meeting with a sponsor, meditating, helping others on a regular basis, we know that their chances of staying sober are much higher than those who don't. And interestingly, the the research that I've looked at show that 12-step programs are comparable to other treatment modalities. So it works. Amazing. Uh, If someone who is listening right now has a loved one who is struggling with alcoholism, what would you tell them? Well, um, I would tell them step one is to get yourself educated on the disease of alcoholism. So educate yourself. Um, I would have to also say if 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 the loved one is a minor, then absolutely get intensive help as soon as possible. Um, Here at Magdalene House, of course, we only work with adult women. Um, So if your loved one is an adult, I would suggest that that they they get educated, lots of resources online, and then get online or pick up the phone, call the Magdalene House, find out when the next family support group is, and go. There are several types of family support groups in the community. I think we have a really wonderful one here at Maggie's. It is, of course, again, completely free, meets twice a week. Um, And the important part there is even though we may really, really want our loved one to stop drinking, we, we have to face the fact that we don't have that kind of control. Mm-hmm. Um, we think, it, well, if I do this or if I do that or maybe I can make them stop. Or, and all we can do is learn how not to be codependent, how not to enable their drinking, and how to set good boundaries for ourselves. And we can certainly say, hey, I love you, but when you're drinking, I can't be around you. We can certainly say things like that. Or, hey, let's talk. Have you ever thought about getting some help for your drinking? But we can't make anyone stop drinking. All we can do is encourage, um, be supportive, but we don't have to... If it's becoming unmanageable for us, we don't. We can set boundaries and say, I have to step back. And sometimes that really is the kindest and loving way and best way, even though it really hurts. Um, we have to let the alcoholic have their journey because if they're not ready to stop, my observation is then they're not going to stop or they may stop temporarily. And even though, yes, we say, oh, you know, he or she should stop drinking for their, their, their loved one. They should stop drinking for their children. They should stop drinking for their grandmother. They have to stop drinking for themselves. And that all that other, all the other stuff comes as bonus, right? Then they are a better spouse, a better mother, a better father, um, a better grandchild. Um, and so, yeah, what's important is that the loved one work through all the issues um, that they're, that they are going through with their loved one that is drinking, and that's the best help they can give them. It's very significant that there are so many family and friends that are affected by the drinking of the loved one. It's not, it's not just one person. Um, it's a whole group. I think, I think on average it's like seven people that are affected by mm-hmm. somebody's, somebody's drinking. 
And thank you for uh, plugging in the family support group here at the Magdalene House. Uh, like Kay said, they do meet twice a week, both virtually and in person. And you can find more information about uh, that group or other services at magdalenehouse.org. Okay, do you have any patients that you have referred to the Magdalene House? Any success stories that you can share with us? Sure. So um, I always let my clients that um, that I see that are in recovery from alcoholism know that the Magdalene House is a wonderful resource where they can, where women can access a vibrant recovery community and family members can attend family support. And through the years, I've had many clients go through the Magdalene House successfully and really recreate a healthy life for themselves and for their loved ones. Um, I've also seen many, I, sometimes I, I, I see clients that have come out of tr other treatment centers and they're in early recovery. And I, of course, I don't require them to come to the Magdalene House, <laughs> but I incur, I, I give them supports in the community mm -hmm. and Maggie's is always one of them. The clients that I have that do become involved at Maggie's really find strong support for that, that, that very difficult time in the first few months after they've stopped drinking. And the, the, whether they come to the daily meetings or they join the next step meetings, they just really find a lot of strength in the fellowship and also the volunteer opportunities. It's mm -hmm. a really great way to become involved. Excellent. Thank you. Well, okay. thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for everything that you do for our agency and our participants and our community. It was a pleasure having you. Well, it was a pleasure doing the podcast, and I love Maggie's and uh, love the work that we do in the community. Thank you. This has been Recover Ed with guest hosts Nanan Dandar and brought to you by the Magdalene House. I am Diana Miller, host of the Recover Ed podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new release from one of our four series. To learn more about the Magdalene House and the services we offer, visit magdalenehouse.org or follow us on your favorite social media channels.